Hi. Today we're looking at the compassion of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. I'm really grateful for that video, though. I'm really grateful because I've been opening up my heart toward this topic of compassion. And I'm really grateful as I was watching the video, God was stirring in my heart. Did he do that in you? Right? Can I tell you, that's a real gift. And there's going to be always a temptation when you see these types of videos, right? To just go, I don't have to care. Or I'll care a little bit in the moment. But I'm so grateful that we are a church that cares deeply. And we put our money where our mouth is, where our hearts and our emotions and wherever God chooses to take us. I love that. And I'm really thankful for that video. And I felt such a difference uh, between watching that video right then and a moment where I realized in college that I didn't have a ton of compassion (laughs) in general. Uh, There was a speaker who came. And I went to a Christian university, it was Westmont College. And uh, I'm sitting in chapel and this well-known speaker gets on the stage, and it was one of the speakers for chapel that we were all looking forward to because he's, you know, he was good at it. And so he gets up on stage, and he says, I have three things to tell you and three things only. Number one, last night while you were sleeping, approximately 30,000 children died from starvation or diseases related to malnutrition. Number two, some of you don't give a shh. And he said it. (sighs) Number three, what's worse? It seems like a lot of you care more about the fact that I just said shh than the fact that 30,000 kids lost their lives in the past 24 hours. And then he sat down. And our whole campus was like, all we talked about. Why is that? Why have we come, become desensitized at times to the hurt and the brokenness in the world? I mean, it's painful and it's sometimes really exhausting to open up your heart. I mean, sometimes you have to ask the question though, why would we if it's just going to be painful? So we hear a topic like the compassion of Jesus and we go, okay, if we want that compassion in us, we have to be aware of the cost of it, Right? So that moment, that chapel, that week, years ago, (laughs) I realized God needed to do a radical work in me, a work that he's continuing to do. And I saw just an ounce of it as my heart was stirred watching a video, and I hope he stirs all of our hearts. But since I can't make you care, we should probably pray. (laughs) I can't do it. I can share with you the truth, and the truth can set you free, but ultimately it's God's spirit dwelling within you that's going to open your heart up to not just see the compassion of Jesus, but receive the compassion of Jesus, that we might give the compassion of Jesus and then proclaim him along the way. Are you open for that journey? If so, would you not just pray with me, but open your hearts to the one who wants to speak to you this morning with expectancy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are. have your way. Even now, would you begin to take hard hearts and soften them, God, in your power. Stubborn hearts, open them. Compassionate hearts, encourage them. God, but you know our hearts, so would you search it even for a minute? (laughs) Make us a little more aware of it that we might receive your word today, we pray. And all God's children said in unison, 
Amen. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be studying in the next two weeks the two miracles that are found in all four of the Gospels. There's only two. Interesting, right? Next week we'll talk about the resurrection. (laughs) Yes, because it's Easter. And this week we're going to talk about the other miracle. Did you know there's only one miracle that's in all four of them? You ready for it? The feeding of the 5,000 is in all four. That's probably why you've heard it so much. (laughs) There's a reason every single gospel writer had to include it. And Luke does. And I love the way Luke uniquely writes about it, right? So we have a kind of a three-dimensional picture of it because we have four different perspectives. Uh, Luke, Mark, all of them refer to the miracles of Jesus as miracles. But John refers to them as something else. Each time John writes about a miracle, he refers to it as a sign. Because, right, a sign is like a billboard pointing to another destination. The sign is not the destination. In other words, the miracle is not the goal. The miracle is pointing to something else, and that's what we're going to figure out together. Why is this miracle in all four? And so we can find a little bit more, not by beginning in the miracle story, but actually figuring out the context. Will you read with me? Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Pause. How cool. Let's not get used to reading these types of things. Jesus equipped them for what he called them for. (laughs) Then, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that realm where God is king and to proclaim it and to heal the sick. And here's how he equipped them for it. You ready? He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag. He even mentions this one specifically. No bread. No money. No extra shirt. He is equipping them with nothing (laughs) but his power and authority, which actually is the only thing they need. You have everything you need to do the things God has asked you to do, Willow. You already have it. And that's good news. I hope the clapping is letting it into your heart to the point that it actually could become belief that you already have everything I know. I know you can compare with everybody else and say, well, I don't have so-and-so. I know he didn't need that. He said, go do all the ministry. And by the way, take nothing with you. I want you to be dependent upon me. Take nothing with you. I even want you to, to be dependent upon others. And the reason I can tell you confidently that you have everything you need is because you're here at church. Because sometimes he sets you up to need the people around you, the people you don't even know, the people you could quickly ignore, the people who who have these stories that could really quickly put tears in their eyes, but we want to rush out because that's a lot more comfortable, right? Oh my goodness, me too. It's so much more, oh, I'm emotional. It's so much more comfortable not to care. But I think God wants us to care. (laughs) So let's keep going. Verse seven. Now, Didn't expect that at all. You better not rush out. (laughs) Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. So Herod the Tetrarch, the ruler of the times going, what is happening? (laughs) And they saying, some think this, some think this, some think this. But then verse 9 But Herod said, I beheaded John. Quick context. We actually know from other gospel writers on this narrative that John is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. 
And not only are the disciples going to report back what's happening on these missions trips and the amazing things they get to see, they also have to bring Jesus really awful news about his cousin. So Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about. Who is this? Herod's wondering about Jesus. Who is this? And this is the question that Luke will spend the remainder of the chapter answering. This chapter has a lot of good stuff. I mean, you got the transfiguration, you got the cost of discipleship, you got the miracle of the feeding 5,000. He just, he just like fills up this chapter. Why? Because he wants to answer this, this question from Herod. Who is this? Well, let's see. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what, had, what they had done. Then he, Jesus, took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it. So Jesus, finding out the good news of what they got to do, but also the bad news of loss, what does he want to do? He wants to withdraw. Isn't that kind of comforting that Jesus, the perfect one, wanted to withdraw from the crowds? (laughs) So don't feel guilty about the whole like wanting to leave early thing. (laughs) Jesus too wanted to get away. But look at this, verse 11. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. How frustrating. And so Jesus just, you know, ran away. Nope, it says this. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. How profound. Jesus is grieving, yet he's completely interruptible. I love this about Jesus. It's one of my favorite qualities. If you want to just read through the book of Luke, just pay attention to all the times Jesus is doing something else and someone interrupts him. It is shocking. He sees people different than I do. He never sees people as an interruption, ever. How about you? You know when you're home and you're doing that thing that's really important that has to get done and then someone interrupts you? How do you do with those (laughs) moments? Or is it just me that struggles? Someone else? Just one more. Just someone else? Someone else? Okay, because I'll tell you. Thank you. Thank you. Hand. I see that hand. Uh, To feel like we're together and the terribleness. Okay, so Jesus is interruptible all the time. This, is, this verse is shocking to me. He's grieving. He's like, he gets the disciples. He's like, let's get away. Let's get away. And the crowds are like running after him. And then he, here's how he responds to the crowd. He welcomes them. He welcomes the interruption. I don't do that. In fact, one time I was sitting in a coffee shop right by my home writing a sermon. And I was writing this sentence. Divine interruptions happen along the way. But I was conveniently sitting at the coffee shop and I had my AirPods in. AirPods. Air, ear pods, earbuds, not air bud. That's the movie. Okay, um, got these in. <clears throat> divine interruptions happen along the way. Like I'm, I'm amazed. I was writing a sermon on divine interruptions, and I'm writing it. And this gal walks up to me and she goes, "Excuse me," and I was like, "Yes." And notice, notice where it is. What's up? What am I? What am I communicating with my nonverbals? It's about to go back in. What was that? (laughs) She goes, excuse me, do you by chance know how to use a Macintosh? And I thought, a few things. One, bless her heart, she doesn't understand nonverbals, you know. Um, Because I didn't even, like, turn. I was like this. I was like, what? Number two, who calls it that? Macintosh, right? 
So I was, but I didn't say any of that. I'm like this. I do. Look at the Mac, Mac buddies. Yeah, okay. Divine interruptions. God has for you things that are right in the midst of you doing your things, and you're going to miss out on the things God has for you if you're really consumed with your things. I'm like, this is so good, and I'm not even aware of it. This is what I was writing on my screen. It took me like 10 minutes to like, and it was like I had finished that section. I had moved on. I had gotten to the end of the message, and then I was going through it, and I got to that moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, the girl, the girl. I'm like, she's still here? She's still here? And so I run over to the girl. I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. She goes, for what? I'm like, um, I do know how to use a Mac and Tosh computer, so. <laughs> she goes, oh, great, because my boyfriend, like, gave me his laptop, and I don't really know how to use it, and I have to, like, write this paper, and what I'm, I mean, I'm writing it on, like, comparing and contrasting Islam and Christianity. I'm just trying to find the truth. I'm like, you are? You're just trying to find it? Is that what you're trying to do? Just trying to find the truth that I have in me that I can just share with <clears throat> You too will miss what God is up to through you if you're really obsessed and overwhelmed by just what you're up to. You'll miss it. And it's really thrilling to be open. It's thrilling to offer up your to-do list and then say, but what else, Lord? It's actually thrilling, but we're going to miss it. And so I feel really, um, I feel amazing right now letting you know that God has really cool plans along the way. On your way from here to wherever you're headed to next and who you're going to run into and how he might use your attention and your eye contact and your heart to care. He might use that for what God plans to do in that person. Isn't that thrilling? And I just have to tell you from experience, good, yeah. I just have to, I'm not good at the coughing thing, sorry. Um, I just have to tell you from experience, you're going to miss it if you're really overwhelmed with your plans. So that's why Jesus is profound to me. And he even in the book of Matthew tells us in the same exact narrative why. Matthew chapter 14 verse 13 says this. When Jesus heard what had happened to his cousin, he withdrew by by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Listen to how Matthew describes Jesus. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Jesus never saw people as an interruption. He had compassion. So what is compassion? I've been studying this, and here's here's where we've landed. So compassion is to be moved to your core for the sake of someone else. It requires an openness to be moved to your core, and then it is expressed. It's shown in kindness and in grace and in having pity or having mercy for someone else. In Scripture, it's always both a deep feeling and an appropriate action based on that feeling. Empathy is that feeling. Compassion adds the action. That's why you hear that one uh, movie about Jesus, right? It's the passion of Christ. Why passion actually means what you care so deeply about that you're willing to sacrifice for it, the passion of Christ. Him going to the cross, right? Why? Because he was so passionate, compassion with passion. What it means to have compassion is to enter in with someone and care for the person. That's passion. That's compassion. And that's what Jesus is doing to a a crowd who showed up, by the way, with kind of ulterior motives. How interesting. 
He even has compassion for every single reason why we showed up to church. And this word is not just in Luke chapter, or not just in Matthew chapter 14, not just in Luke 19. It's actually all throughout scripture. When God goes for the very first time to describe himself, Moses is like, show me your glory. God's like, I'll pass by, but like, you can't quite handle my glory. But this is how God describes himself in that moment. Exodus chapter 34, verse six, it says this. And he, God himself, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. Here's how he describes himself. The compassionate and gracious God. It's the first word he chooses to use. Wow. And if you look through the entire life of Jesus, you'll see that compassion fueled everything. I mean, why did he come to earth? Why did God send Jesus? Why did Jesus, fully man, fully God, come to earth? God was moved by our brokenness and independence and self-righteous efforts so much so that he moved. He didn't just feel it. He acted appropriately to that feeling, and he showed up where? In a manger. Why? Because we can relate to broken places. And then the next time we see, and I was just was reading through Luke, the next time we see Jesus, he's age 12. Remember that moment? Age 12, what's happening at age 12? His parents are going to the uh, Jerusalem for the f- festival of the Passover. They're on their way. And then they leave and they're returning home. And here's what happens. Luke chapter 2, verse 45. When they did not find him, Jesus' parents lose him. Isn't that comforting for any other parent? <laughs> and can I tell you something about that child? He turned out okay. <laughs> Even with imperfect parents. So they're searching for him. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. And look what he's doing. He, age 12, is cultivating compassion. How? And if you're going, I want to cultivate compassion, good, pay attention. Jesus will teach us precisely how. Sitting among the teachers, look at this, listening to them. One way to cultivate compassion is to truly listen to people and not wait for your chance to talk back. (laughs) listening to them and asking them questions. Here's the practical application. You want to look more like Jesus? Listen more and ask questions. Jesus is cultivating compassion as a 12-year-old. Then chapter 3, he gets baptized, right? The Spirit descends on him and God the Father speaks over him his words of identity before the ministry right? This is my son whom I love and I'm already pleased with him before the ministry. And then let's see where the Holy Spirit leads him. Chapter four says this, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I thought the Spirit just led us into good opportunities. (laughs) He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry Cultivating compassion, why? Because it's a lot easier to have compassion on people that are experiencing the same things you're experiencing. So Jesus, just in chapter four, verses one and two, understands a wilderness season. Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. Isn't that interesting? Elsewhere in scripture, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He understands hunger, See, we get to the feeding of the 5,000. It's hard for us kind of to relate to the crowd because food is readily available to us, right? But I do believe we're hunger and starving for lots of other things. 
And so we can resonate with the crowd, and Jesus can resonate with us. In fact, all throughout Scripture, the rest of the book of Luke, he's just going, I understand. I understand. I understand betrayal. I understand. I understand church hurt. Oh, I understand it deeply. Oh, I understand. Why? cultivating compassion, but it doesn't just stop there. See, when we get to this message, we want to see the compassion of Jesus. So let's look at it in the feeding of the 5,000, but we don't just want to see it. What we want to do is receive it. We'll get there. Uh, Luke chapter 9, we're back there. So the feeding of the 5,000, here we go. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied to the disciples, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, which by the way was about 5,000 men were there. Fun fact, fun fact, I just have to do it. Uh, In John's gospel, we find out where the five loaves and the two fish come from. Do you remember? Who was it? Little boy, right? Doesn't say it in Luke. I just have to give a little shout out for John. It's the little boy. How interesting. And how many does it feed? 5,000, that's the title, but we just said right here, only 5,000 men were actually counted. So, I mean, with women and children, we're looking at a crowd of like 12 to like 20,000 people are fed. How? Through a little boy. How interesting. A little boy who's not even included in the title of the miracle. Why? Because he's a little boy. He's not even included. The world account, the, the one the world counts out, God invites in and goes, I can use that. Whew. So we get the five loaves, two fish, uh, 5,000 people, actually probably more. And then he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. So here's what happens in the story. The disciples notice uh, that we've been, we've been here for a while. These people don't have food. There's not like a restaurant nearby. So let's send them home. Jesus' response is this. You give them something to eat. But do you remember the context? Verse 3. Jesus sent them out without bread, without money, without anything. And Jesus is saying like, you give them something to eat. They're probably like this. How? <laughs> How? What's Jesus doing? He's cultivating compassion in them. Why? You give them something to eat. Don't just think about you, and don't just think about your own self-reliance. Because if you're just going to think about self-reliance, then all you're, all you're going to offer them is something that's not eternal. Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I can offer them something that will last. And not just bread, because in John's gospel, the sign is all pointing to who Jesus actually is, the bread of life. The one who actually satisfies. And so what's Jesus doing? He's cultivating compassion in them. Why? Because he intends to use them. So let me ask you, though, what compels you to act for others? See, it's easy for me to tell stories of like success. Here's how I act with compassion. Here's how I did this that one time. And also here's where I didn't. But let's think about it truly for a second. Because this, this matters for us personally. What actually compels you to act for someone else? I'll tell you what doesn't for me. When I'm thinking a lot about me. <laughs> right? So how... If this is what Jesus is doing in the disciples and ultimately what he wants to do for us, how do we get there? Here we go. First, we see the compassion of Jesus, but it can't stop there. We, the disciples, must receive the compassion of Jesus. 
before we give the compassion of Jesus. See, a lot of us would want to walk out of this room and go, okay, I'm going to be more compassionate, and then we're going to do it all in our own strength. But I think we need to hear Jesus' invitation at the beginning of the chapter. I want you to go reliant upon me. I want you to go in a needy posture yourself because then you'll actually see the needs of others. You won't if you're just fully capable. So I need you to see the compassion of Jesus, see the need for compassion within you, and then, here it is, receive the compassion of Jesus. See, we don't just see the compassion of Jesus in the miracles. We also see the compassion of Jesus in the cross. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? What's happening there? He is feeling, it's the picture we have in the gospel narratives of Jesus, feeling the most deeply. He is sweating blood. Why? Because he sees your brokenness. He considers you and all that you've done this week and for your life. And he's considering that moment of regret that you can't quite get over on your own. He sees it and it moves him to the cross. What we will celebrate next week on Friday began because Jesus saw you and was so moved deeply to move and act on your behalf, that's compassion. It says this in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his love. He doesn't just say he has compassion, he demonstrates it how in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is a verse that can lead us for salvation if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus see the compassion of Jesus and receive it. He died for you. But that's not just for salvation. The compassion of Jesus is not just what moves him to make a way for salvation. See, on the third day, he rose from the grave, proving that he has the power over all things that could get you down, all selfishness that could limit you from being compassionate. And so what he does is he doesn't just have compassion for your salvation, he has compassion for you in every moment. And I think for us to actually live with compassion, we have to, in the midst of a church service, pause and consider. And I'm even going to create a space, if you would. It's a little risky, but why not? Would you close your eyes and consider for a moment, maybe a moment in your life where you didn't feel compassion? I know this is risky and I know it's vulnerable, but the truth is I don't want you just to tell other people's stories about Jesus and invite them to Easter. I want you to tell them yours. Is there a moment in your life where maybe you didn't feel compassion from anyone else? You were hurting and someone told you to get over it or, to get, or it should be healed quickly or fixed fast. Can you open your eyes with me? I don't know if you went there. I did. There is one of the loneliest moments of my life in, in my mind right now. And I felt so alone. Two weeks ago, I had a friend that just asked me about it. What was that like for you? And I shared. And by the time I opened my eyes, she was crying with me. And then she had me close my eyes again. And I encourage you to do this later, to close my eyes again and then picture Jesus there. Turns out I wasn't as alone as I felt. And I just needed to see in that moment that Jesus truly cares 
about that moment. The compassion of Jesus is not just for salvation, although it absolutely is, it's also for those moments. See, the goal of this message is that you would see the compassion of Jesus, understand it a little bit more, and then receive it. And here's why, because God wants to use you to give it away. How do I know? Verse 16 says this, taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is Jesus, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he, notice this part, gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He could have skipped over them. He didn't. Remember, he said, you give them something to eat. They're like, what do we have? He's like, I'll give you what you need. I'll give you everything you need. You just have to show up and be willing. So notice, I'm gonna say the most obvious facts. Are you ready? You must receive God's compassion as he, because he intends to give it away through you. God gives his compassion through the disciples. Others can receive the compassionate care and movement of Jesus through you. Practically, I've been studying this passage for about two weeks. On Monday, I went to pick up my son from this like, little after-school program. <laughs> And I just kind of got him fast. I'm like, faster, it's five o'clock, time to go. And he's like, no, 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 I want to stay. I'm like, no, time to go, hurry. And he runs over and he's mad at me. I don't know why. He's just mad. Usually he's pretty happy and chipper. He's mad. We got to get to the car. He's really angry. <coughs> I start driving home and we have people that we're hosting at my house. So I'm like, you know, turn it on. Come on, be happy. <laughs> and he's so mad. Can I tell you what he said? I don't know if I'm going to say this in second service. Just you guys. <clears throat> He said this, he goes, he's so mad. He didn't know how to make, he didn't know how to express his anger. He's still learning, bless his heart. He goes, I'm, I just hate you. I'm like, I know you're mad. I know you're mad, and so you hate me. He goes, you're so fat. I'm like, what? He's like, you're so fat in your small pants. <laughs> and now I'm trying not to laugh because it was just like the cute, he's just trying to be mean. He's just trying to be mean because he doesn't know how to express his anger. And can I just tell you, there's some adults in your life that don't know how to express their anger either right? They've said cruel things. Kids have said cruel things. And guess what I was studying? This. And so rather than being offended, rather than thinking about how he affects me negatively, I got out of the car. He was terrified. I parked. He was terrified. And I got in the back. I'm like, what are you so mad at? And he goes, I'm mad because I got all the kids, to, I got all the kids ready to play musical chairs, all of them. Mama, even the middle schoolers. <laughs> I'm like, you got the middle, you convinced a, gr- a kindergartner got a group of middle schoolers to play musical chairs? He's like, yeah, and it was all set up, and then you just came and took me. I'm like, that sucks. He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's, a, so you're saying you rounded up all the middle schoolers and the elementary school kids, and they listened to you, and you got the chairs, you got all set, and then mom just showed up and just took you? He's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's awful. He's like, it is awful. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I know we have to go home because people are there, but I'm so sorry. That's hard. Because for a kindergartner, guess what it is? I shut the door going, what just happened? I got back in the car, got in the car within three minutes. We are home, and he looks at me and says, thanks, mom. Because guess what he needed? To be seen. Guess what he needed? To know he's not crazy. And guess what you need too, church? To know you're not crazy either. But I'll tell you this. Thank you. I'll tell you this. It's risky. It's actually really risky to live like this. Because in moments where you could be offended, you have, to, you have to go, where's their hurt? 
And then you have to take the time to listen and ask questions. And it's really hard. No wonder in this chapter, verse 23, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Oh, cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Self-denial is key. You cannot be others-minded and self-centered at the same time. It's impossible. But here's what's possible. You in this church service can see the compassion of Jesus. You can receive his presence, the compassion of Jesus. And then you can give the compassion of Jesus, but don't miss the point. Remember Herod the Tetrarch? Who is this? Right between the miracle and the cost, we have the point, and here it is. Once when Jesus was praying in private, verse 18, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Jesus turns to them, and I believe us as well, and says, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. That's the point. The point of being compassionate is not just that we're more compassionate. The point of the compassion, the point of seeing the compassion, receiving the compassion, and giving the compassion is so that people might see Jesus. That's why he's making the announcement about Easter. Because people need to see Jesus. They need to see that Jesus is compassionate toward them. And guess what God's plan for those people is? Willow, the marketing won't work as effective as you to get people to see Jesus, to receive Jesus, and then give Jesus away, and it gets modeled through us. But don't forget the point of the story. It's to proclaim who Jesus is. I'll end with this. I was really blown away recently by the scripture that talks about how we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You ever thought about that verse? It's in Romans 8 and Hebrews, I think, 4. Let me tell you how shocking this is. Are you ready? God's throne in heaven, ruling everything. If you don't know a picture of that, read Isaiah. God's throne, and this is what that scripture is saying. We can approach that throne with confidence. Is that shocking? Isn't that shocking? Why? Why can we approach the throne totally confident? Because we know what type of throne it is. It's a throne of grace. And what is grace? It's Christ's compassion on display. And one day we will, and you know this one's going to be personal for me, one day we will stand before God's throne and I keep wondering all the questions he's going to ask. Did you love me? Did you, get, did you receive my compassion? Did you, did you give away my compassion? Did you see hurting people or were you really obsessed with your to-do list? I imagine all these questions, and are you ready for the most profound thing in the world? You can be confident no matter the question because of your response can be this. Did you love me? I proclaim Jesus. Did you learn to love? I proclaim Jesus, and he so loved everyone. I proclaim Jesus. You don't have to stand before God and say, well, I cared a lot and I tried to be compassionate and I tried to pay attention in coffee shops. I stopped wearing AirPods and I... (laughs) No, you stand before the Father one day and you just go, I plead the blood of a substitute. So if that's going to be our future, one day standing before God saying, 
I plead Jesus and him going, well done, welcome, that's more than enough. If that's going to be our future, friends, why not live like it's true today and have that be our present? Why not proclaim him today? Where? To Maya in the coffee shop. As I got to tell her who truth is. To my son who's hurting. And it's really inconvenient to be 15 minutes late. Friends, we get the rare privilege the week before Easter to see the compassion of Jesus. Don't rush out, especially in that one moment of hurt receive the compassion of Jesus. Why? Because this week, he plans to give his compassion through you. And when people taste it, take the opportunity. Proclaim Jesus. That's the point. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for seeing us and being with us. So I even now go back to maybe a moment that we need to see that you were there. Give us faith to trust you. Jesus, you're all we need, and you're beautiful. Thank you for being moved to your core for us. We thank you, Lord, and we give you our worship. And we pray in your holy name that leads us to your throne room of grace with confidence. In the name of Jesus, we all say, amen.